Sidney Harris, a famous field newspaper syndicate columnist, says about dictatorial bosses, quote, it is impossible to learn anything important about anyone until we get him or her to disagree with us. It is only in contradiction that character is disclosed. That is why autocratic employers slash bosses usually remain so ignorant about the true nature of their subordinates. This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about taking your leadership skills to the next level. Whether you are a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember, leaders make things happen. My passion is to help you lead more effectively. Welcome to this show. I appreciate so much you all listening to my podcast, and this show is going to be an excerpt from my Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make Book, Chapter 5, Dictatorship and Decision-Making, Getting Beyond I Know All the Answers. Man, this topic of dictatorship and decision-making is one of the most painful things I hear from so many followers so often. I was uh, recently speaking to a group of young people, and I asked them, how many of you have worked for a miserable boss? Every time I ask that question, I'm just amazed at how many people raise their hand. And when I asked them, what was it about the boss that made them uh, miserable working under that person, nine times out of ten, it has to do with control freaks, controlling uh, dictators, you know, a, a messy decision-making process or a process of decision-making that does not involve the people not being in uh, in the know about what's going on. And next thing you know, there's decisions. So we're going to be talking about one of the great mistakes that leaders make, dictatorship in decision-making. I appreciate so much the listener feedback I get from all of you. And I just wanted to read you some feedback I got uh, from one of you recently. Uh, some of you took me up on my offer for the free Slinky book, and all those are gone now. But here's a person who wrote me after getting that book. First and foremost, thank you very much for the book. I really enjoyed learning from you because your speaking style and examples are easy to follow, understand, and relate to. As a young millennial maverick in her 20s, I desire to one day serve my company as an executive leader, but can already attest to the challenges posed by toxic leadership, dirty delegation, poor communication, lack of confidence in mavericks. But you know, rather than dampen my spirits, these factors motivate me. End of quote. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm glad you can relate and follow my thoughts easily. You know, one of my professors used to say when I was in grad school, you know, you need to put the cookies on the lower shelf so everybody can get to them. And that definitely is my style of communication. Well, let's listen now to one of my favorite topics on bad leadership. Chapter five from the top 10 mistakes leaders make dictatorship in decision making. Chapter 5, Dictatorship and Decision-Making, Getting Beyond I Know All the Answers. Dictators deny the value of individuals. The major players in any organization are like stockholders. They should have a say in its direction. The one who does the job should decide how it's done. 
flat organizations are the model of the future. Dictatorships have their advantages. I spent most of the 1980s working in communist Eastern Europe, observing firsthand countries such as Romania, East Germany, and Russia that were run by dictators. Life was quiet and predictable back then, especially when compared to the economic and political chaos that characterizes these same nations today. For decades, all was calm and quiet in Eastern Europe, from Yugoslavia all the way down to the eastern reaches of the Soviet Empire bordering the Pacific. Quiet, calm, and oppressed. Dictatorships are like that. They take the fun out of life and break the human spirit that longs to soar with achievement. I can't begin to describe the dejected look of oppression I saw in the eyes of the common workers in Eastern Europe during those years. Crossing the borders in those days from Western Europe into the East was like going from color television to black and white. The gleam of joy and the fierce eyes of competition were rarely seen in whole generations that grew up in those times. One of my greatest joys during those years of working in Eastern Europe was being in Berlin on November 9, 1989, to see firsthand the wall come down. I call it history's greatest prison break. Freedom broke out everywhere. I think that the date of 11-9 changed the world as much or more, at least for the better, than 9-11. A change for the good of the human spirit for millions of oppressed people who could now finally become leaders. Another label for the dictatorship style of leadership is what I call the apostolic view of decision-making. This person believes that he or she has special knowledge or an anointing that gives him or her the inside edge on truth. Quote, I know the answers because I've been given special insight, knowledge, and position. Therefore, I will determine our direction, for I am the leader and I know best. End of quote. It amazes me that such people even get into positions of power. Sidebar from Andrew Carnegie. Take away my people, but leave my factories, and soon grass will grow on the factory floor. Take away my factories, but leave my people, and soon we will have a new and better factory. I recently ran into an old friend who told me of his recent experience working under a pastor who had this apostolic type of attitude. He ran his church as a corporate dictator would, making sure that every decision, large or small, was made only by him down to personally signing all the paychecks. He surrounded himself with the kind of yes-men who would submit to his domineering style. It became a miserable place to work, and my friend finally had the joy of retiring out of that misery. Not long after my friend left that church, the pastor crashed and burned in moral failure. Though he controlled everyone around him so completely, he apparently could not control his own passions. In a very similar case, I received a call from a sheriff in Florida. At first I thought I was in trouble, but no, he was an elder in his church and had just read an earlier version of this book. All of the lay leaders in his church felt that the pastor was going in the wrong direction, and he wanted my advice. They were being smothered by a close-minded leader. He asked me, quote, are we right to oppose our pastor when we all disagree with him as one? Question mark, end of quote. I advised him to try and reason with the leader as a group, with the wisdom of many. The Bible says, in the presence of many counselors, there's wisdom. I take that to mean that the best direction for the whole is the collective wisdom of all the leaders. 
Unfortunately, in this case, their pastor was not open to input. Several times in my career, I've worked for bosses like that. After I poured countless months of energy into a cause, my work would go up in smoke because the boss just decided that we were going to do something else. No dialogue, just dictatorship. Don't be a jack-in-the-box leader. This is the person in charge who pops out of his box and declares, It has been decided. Don't even think about uttering that phase. It communicates that a decision was made behind closed doors that others had nothing to do with and that they can do nothing about. It deflates the human spirit like the mainsail going limp in the middle of a yacht race. All of a sudden, one feels dead in the water. The energies that were so focused before are suddenly nowhere to be found. In anger, most people will reply to that deadly phrase with, Oh yeah? Who decided? Just let me get my hands on him. The best often comes from the bottom. At a recent employee briefing, I asked our team of 60 home office staff this question. Where will the greatest ideas come from in our organization? Who will pioneer the greatest innovations? From what source will our great strides forward originate? It was a trick question. I believed it was them. I went on to explain one of my fundamental beliefs about leadership. The greatest ideas bubble up from the workers. They will come from you, not from me, I told them as they stared at me in disbelief. For some reason, I don't think anyone had ever told them that, and I'm not sure they believed me. We know by looking at history that the greatest strides forward in any field usually comes from the radical fringe as opposed to the institutional core. I mentioned this in the last chapter as we looked at cultivating mavericks. Very seldom does the belly of an institution bring forth great bursts of creative energy and progress in a movement. Those on the fringes are the ones who usually come up with the best ideas. Look at the iPod, developed by a computer company and music outsiders. It single-handedly wiped out Sony, which had dominated the portable music market for decades with its Walkman portable CD players, and more recently with MP3 players. Sidebar, Jim Collins from Built to Last. Fundamental values are not chosen from thin air based on the desires of executives. They are discovered within what already exists in an organization. An illustration from our kitchen shows how this principle works. Having been brought up in a German home, one of the meals we often enjoyed as children was a dish called Grießbrei. It's pronounced just like that, Grießbrei. Because my parents didn't have much money when I was growing up, we had several meatless meals every week, one of them being this Grießbrei, which is basically souped-up cream of wheat. You bring the cream of wheat to a boil very slowly with milk. Then you add vanilla, eggs, and sugar. Once the porridge is done, you fold in whipped egg whites and serve it with milk, blueberries, and bananas. Because I have carried that tradition on to my children, they beg me to make grease spry when they come home for a visit. How do you know when the grease spry is ready? Huge bubbles begin to arise from the bottom, exploding on the surface. That is the magic signal. What a great image that perfectly represents what my role as a leader is. It's to get those big bubbles to arise and burst forth on the surface of our organization. Those bubbles are the great ideas that I have to find hidden among the troops, maybe even at the bottom of the pot. A recent example comes from the world of branding. 
For a long time, all logo products, giveaways, and displays at World Venture were controlled by my office to assure that our brand message was consistent. But about a year ago, we hired some fresh blood in the recruiting world, and I turned them loose on branding. Wow, I've never seen such cool stuff go out to the public with our logo. They are young, fresh, and alive with ideas that I've never dreamed of considering. It reminded me again to avoid that desire to be an intellectual control freak. Blessed are the control freaks, for they shall inhibit the earth. Dictators never make grease bry. They never even turn the burner on. Their style is more akin to keeping the workers in the dark with a lid on the pot. Sidebar from Field Newspaper Syndicate. Sidney Harris on Dictatorial Bosses, quote, it is impossible to learn anything important about anyone until we get him or her to disagree with us. It is only in contradiction that character is disclosed. That is why autocratic employers usually remain so ignorant about the true nature of their subordinates. Thomas J. Watson, Jr., the famous chairman of the board of IBM for many years, believed passionately that the best ideas would come from the fringes. He said, quote, Strangely, the expounders of many of the great new ideas of history were frequently considered on the lunatic fringe for some or all of their lives. If one stands up and is counted, from time to time one may get knocked down. But remember this, a man flattened by an opponent can get up again. A man flattened by conformity stays down for good. Facilitative leadership. One big mistake dictators make is believing their own press reports. They think that the bigger they are, the more they know and the more they should control others. In reality, leadership has more to do with influencing resources. The higher I move in leadership, the more resources I must manage. The greater the leader's responsibility, the more he or she recognizes the intrinsic worth of the followers. This is facilitative leadership. My job is to help those I lead release as much of their potential as possible. I do not do the work. Others do it under my leadership. This is, in fact, a biblical approach to accomplishing the work of God on earth. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, quote, He gave some leaders as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping slash empowering of the saints for the work of the service of ministry, end of quote. God never intended his earthly leaders to control their charges as dictators, but to equip them to do the work that must be done. In 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3 and verse 5, we read, To the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, be shepherds of God's flock, not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. End of quote. Flattening out the organizational chart. Let's talk organizational charts and see how this translates to paper. You can find these charts and diagrams at hansfinzel.com slash diagrams. Chart A shows a typical organizational chart. It is based on the domineering model that puts someone at the top controlling everything and everybody below. This model does a great disservice because it suggests that the more one goes up the organizational ladder, the more important one is and the more others are 
under that top leader responding to his or her commands. Chart A, the traditional model organizational chart. Two alternative models I have observed are found in charts B and C. On the surface, chart B basically looks like chart A turned horizontally. But this illustrates the notion that a horizontal organizational structure is more efficient in releasing the potential of the workers scattered throughout the organization. I like this horizontal approach because it gives the idea of leading the charge. I, as the leader, am at the front of the troops, leading them into battle, yet I am not viewed as the dictator who dominates from the top. The leader goes first, taking others with him, but is not viewed as being at the top of a mighty pyramid. Chart B, lead the charge, horizontal organizational chart, which is basically a top-down organizational chart turned sideways. Chart C represents a flat networking model of organization, where the leader serves as a type of clearinghouse function between the various players or divisions of the group. Notice that there is communication and coordination not only between the leader and each of his or her key players, but also among the key players themselves. The leader must not control all information as if he or she were the central switching station. I actually like Chart C very much, and we at World Venture have moved toward this, and we have put everyone in the organization on teams. Each of these circles represents a team. Leaders lead teams that fan out to other teams as the organization fans out around the world. Chart D is a team-centered leadership structure where teams overlap in their tasks. This is probably more accurate than the stationary Chart C, since lines of responsibilities usually overlap somewhat in all organizations. At times, we all get into each other's business. Where all the teams intersect at the center of this chart is where leadership happens. Not all teams come to the core of the organization either. Imagine a next level of circles emanating out of that first series as teams fan out. A fifth organizational chart illustrates the servant-style leadership of Jesus Christ. It is the inverted pyramid in chart E. Everything rests on the shoulders of the leader. It's more of an attitude than anything else, where leaders realize that they are carrying the organization on their shoulders and that they need to make everyone else become successful. As I have grown in my own leadership responsibilities, I've come to realize that I bear more and more of the burdens of more and more people. Recently, someone commented to me, it must feel great to be the leader of such a large organization. I chuckled as I shared with him that, in fact, it's not what it looks like from the outside. The higher you go in leadership, the more headaches you bear from other people's problems. I love the scene in the movie Saving Private Ryan when Tom Hanks' character's unit asks him why they never hear him complaining about the lousy mission that they are on to save Private Ryan. He responds, I'm the captain. I don't gripe to my men. Gripes go up, not down. You can be sure that the captain was carrying a huge burden of leadership on this mission. He was figuratively and sometimes literally carrying every one of his men on his shoulders. Chart C is the flat organizational chart. Chart D is the team-based approach to flat organizations. Chart E is the servant model organizational chart. And again, these can be found at HansFenzel.com slash diagrams. 
You are listening to the Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make by Hans Finzel, that would be me, Chapter 5, Dictatorship in Decision Making, one of the great, great cardinal sins of leadership. I want you to know that my new passion book is now available both in ebook format and also as an audio book. I recently published it on audible.com and on amazon.com. So if you'd rather listen to the book, you can listen to it in one hour. Uh, the print version should be out just about the time you're listening to this podcast or in just a few short weeks. And I also want to remind you if you want to get the first uh, chapter of the book and the introduction, for free, you can just go to hansfinzel.com and sign up for my email list, and I will send you that chapter to get you going. Now let's continue to listen to Chapter 5, Dictatorship in Decision Making. Decisions Based on Dignity Where I work, we have developed a number of core values, which help determine our decision-making style. Two of the core values speak specifically to this issue of decision-making and where ideas are going to come from individual dignity. We diligently maintain and promote the dignity and worth of each individual within our organization worldwide. People with the proper sense of spiritual and emotional well-being are freed for productive ministry that is committed to goal-oriented planning and team accountability. Number two, corporate creativity. We encourage creative and innovative strategies directed by the Spirit of God and implemented through policies and structures which are characterized by mutual trust and cooperation. In his book, Liberation Management, Tom Peters emphasizes this strong new trend toward flat organizations. He has worked with many companies that are thriving in different industries and in different countries, and they all share one general characteristic. They are discarding the bureaucratic, hierarchical habits of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. No longer are successful organizations using hierarchies and rule books to solve their basic problems. The old model was to use rule books to try to harness hundreds of thousands of erratic, selfish humans with a common purpose and to manage it in a predictable scientific way. But those kind of organizations become buried under their manuals and committees, having been left behind by their flat, lean rivals. Sidebar, New Structures, from Daniel Reeves' Societal Shifts in Ministry Advantage. There has evolved a new perspective on organizational structure. Trends in business and industry emphasize the flattening of administration, the creation of more fluid and changing teams to meet changing needs, and the embedding of responsibility, accountability, and authority at all levels. New theories of management tend to shy away from organizational charts and job descriptions that represent a top-down structure in which tasks are delegated downward, authority is tightly held, and micromanaging and monitoring of performance is important. A more appropriate model is an inverted triangle with an emphasis on supporting and enabling accomplishment. Chart F, the Chaos Model of Organizational Life one word of caution, however, on this issue of diplomacy and democracy and decision-making. 
Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. An entirely leaderless organization is represented by Chart F, the chaos model of organizational life. Some people today are advocating just such a model, but I think it only works well in some rare applications. In their book, The Starfish and the Spider, The Unstoppable Power of Leaderless Organizations, Ori Braffman and Rod Bergstrom look at how decentralization is changing many organizations. The title metaphor conveys the core concept. Though a starfish and a spider have similar shapes, their internal structure is dramatically different. A decapitated spider inevitably dies, while a starfish can regenerate itself from a single amputated leg. In the same way, decentralized organizations like the Internet, the Apache Indian Tribe, and Alcoholics Anonymous are made up of many smaller units capable of operating, growing, and multiplying independently of each other, making it very difficult for a rival force to control or defeat them. This can make sense in some organizations, but it is my view that few organizations are capable of successfully sustaining this type of existence for very long. Leaders should lead, not just implement consensus. When no one is in charge, chaos ensues. I firmly believe in the need for a single person to be in charge of each team in an organization, as opposed to a committee. Let's look at that concept next. Dictators don't lead teams. The alternative to dictatorship and decision-making is team leadership. We have heard a lot about the team concept in the last couple of decades. In our own organization, there is a strong movement among our field leadership staff to move toward a team emphasis. If I have heard the word team once from the fresh young recruits, I've heard it a thousand times. The desire to work on a team environment goes hand-in-glove with the trend away from hierarchical, top-down organizational styles. Webster defines team as, quote, a number of persons associated together in work or activity, a number of persons selected to contend on one side in a match, a group of workmen each completing one of a set of operations, end of quote. The word originated from the idea of a group of animals working together, as in two or more horses, oxen, or other draft animals harnessed to the same vehicle or plow. In our day, we think of a sports team. Our family had the joy of living in Chicago during the era of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls won six world championships under the leadership of Jordan and their coach, Phil Jackson. No one doubts that Jordan was the leader of that team, but even Michael Jordan knows that the Bulls would never have won a championship without the strong support, energy, and talent of Coach Jackson and players like Horace Grant, Scottie Pippen, and John Paxson. What makes a good manager? Someone asked Yogi Berra. A good ball club, he replied. I have listened to the cries for teams in our organization, and the move in that direction has been very healthy and productive. We have broken up the pieces of World Venture into teams everywhere, and I lead the executive leadership team, which consists of two other senior leaders who report to me and myself. They, in turn, each have their own team to lead. Every leader has his or her team as the organization expands worldwide. There are teams at the home office and teams out on the field. Though we have pushed most decision-making far out to the staff, we still believe that the buck must stop somewhere for each major team, project, initiative, or department. 
Moving to teams has liberated management and harnessed the power of more and more creative energy at every level. Sidebar, Peter Drucker from Managing the Nonprofit Organization, Principles and Practices. The leaders who work most effectively, it seems to me, never say I. They don't think I, they think we. They think team. They understand their job to be making the team function. They accept the responsibility and don't sidestep, but we gets the credit. There is an identification, very often quite unconscious, with the task and with the group. This is what creates trust, which enables you to get the task done. Leadership is teamwork, coaching, creativity, and the synergy of a group of people inspired by their leader. No single person can corner the market on truth. I remember well a frustrating time in my own journey when I was deeply troubled by what I have called the apostolic style of leadership. I shared that story in my introduction. The apostolic style stands at the opposite end of the continuum from the leader who sees his primary role as managing the resources of a team. The apostle sees truth as having come down from on high. The apostle knows the battle plan and where the team will go. It is the team's responsibility to implement the dreams and visions that were singularly presented to the leader. That approach may sound spiritual, but I don't believe it's biblical. The age of the apostles in the New Testament, men like Peter and Paul, who really did receive divine inspiration, is over. A leader's job today is to work together with his or her team to draw out ideas and organize them. Unless there is goal ownership, there will never be strong support for the leader. The leader will ultimately have to steer the group into fulfilling the mission, but what the mission is should be determined together by the key players of the team. Dwight Eisenhower said, You do not lead by hitting people over their head. That is assault, not leadership. In our organization, which we like to think is run as a Christian organization should be run, we rely on the guidance of God. We schedule times of prayer with our leadership team. I think we need to get serious with God if we expect Him to get serious with us. We aren't perfect, and we don't always make the right decisions. But we have a history of good, solid organizational performance for many years. We as leaders pray together, play together, and do a lot of talking about the best course of action on any given decision. Delegate decisions whenever possible. Rather than always dictating decisions, a good leader will try as often as possible to let those he or she is leading make decisions. Insisting on being in on all the decisions communicates lack of trust and confidence. It also slows the development of new leadership. Very often, how a project is done doesn't really matter. If it is done differently but accomplished effectively, then the job gets done, which is all that matters. I have certainly found this to work in our home. One of the Finzel family rules is, whoever is responsible to do the job can decide how it will be done. Of course, we are interested in seeing the output, and we want to make sure the job is done correctly. But if I'm in charge of cooking dinner tonight, then I would like to have the freedom of deciding what we're going to eat and how I will prepare it. Donna goes nuts if she watches me, so I send her out of the kitchen until dinner is served. It won't be done the way she does it, but she needs to relax because I've been delegated that responsibility for the evening. Actually, in our family, we divide responsibilities on a week-by-week -week basis according to the responsibilities of and pressures on the various family members during that week. 
and whoever does the job has the freedom to figure out how it's going to get done. From time to time, my kids volunteer to wash my car. And you have to know that I obsess about having a very clean car inside and out. They don't wash my car the way I think it should be done, but I've learned to relax and accept their approach. They are saving me $6 at the gas station. If I watch over their shoulders and constantly correct them, all I do is deflate their confidence. Try delegating decisions throughout your organization. You will delight your staff. Just recently, I had one of my managers come to me with a decision that needed to be made between two different approaches. He came to me saying, you're the boss and we need a decision. I could have taken one of two approaches. I could have given him the decision he wanted and he would have walked away and implemented my decision. But I want to empower him. Someday he may need to replace me. So he needs to have decision-making experience. The more I can push decisions into the various departments, the more ownership and enthusiasm there will be in implementing the decisions. So I asked the manager, this is your area, and you're the professional in this area. What is your gut-level opinion about which way we should go? His direction was not the way I would have gone, but I decided supporting his decision was more important than me getting my own way. So I told him to go ahead with his intuition, and I would back him. He walked away from that brief interchange feeling both valuable and important in this organization. And I walked away a winner because I soon learned something new. I came to see that he was right and I was wrong. Sidebar, J. Oswald Sanders from the book Spiritual Leadership. Leadership is the ability to recognize the special abilities and limitations of others, combined with the capacity to fit each one into the job where he or she will do their best. Harry Truman, in his typical straightforward style, once said, A leader is a person who has the ability to get others to do what they don't want to do and like it. But we often have the uncomfortable feeling that leaders get us to do things for their own good and not for ours. We actually suspect we're being manipulated, but we follow anyway because our jobs are on the line. Great leaders are those who truly feel that the led are just as important as the leader. An effective leader in the new paradigm of shared leadership is Max Dupree. He sums up well the ideal of non-dictatorial leadership from the book, Leadership as an Art. Quote, leadership is to be committed to a corporate concept of persons, the diversity of human gifts, covenantal relationships, lavish communications, including everyone, and believing that leadership is a condition of indebtedness. End of quote. Final thoughts. How dictators operate. They hoard decisions. They view truth and wisdom as primarily their domain. They restrict decisions to an elite group. They surprise their workers with edicts from above. How facilitators lead. They delegate decisions. They involve others as much as possible. They view truth and wisdom as being distributed throughout the organization. They are developers. They see people as their greatest resources for ideas that will bring success. They give their people space to make decisions, and they let those who are responsible decide how jobs will be done. When the best leader's work is done, the people will say, we did it ourselves. You have just heard Chapter 5 from the Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make. 
dictatorship in decision-making, getting beyond I know all the answers. Thanks so much for being part of the podcast today. See you next time. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. What are your leadership questions that I can answer for you on a future podcast? Please write me at hansfinzel.com and check out my leadership resources and sign up for my free email updates. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership. 